much. It's good to be here in the north. Jordan, that was very nice. Lovely. You're actually from Alabama, aren't you? Originally a uh, Alabamaite. Uh, Jordan has introduced me to many uh, great foods in, in our uh, time together. Um, and me and Geordie are best friends, brother-in-laws, husbros, if you will. Um, I don't know what we transition to when we're both fathers, so Jordan. Something, yep, yeah, father bros, dad bros. I'm definitely transitioned to dad bod already. That's, that's, that's happened. That happened many years ago. But things like fried chicken on waffles. Um, I think that's something that would serve in Alabama. I don't know, I've only been to America for a day in my life and it was the scariest experience of my life. <laughs> Sunset Boulevard isn't as nice as you're led to believe. In fact, it's a pretty rough place and if you walk down there in the middle of the night, you're probably gonna get mugged. Um, first-hand experience would tell me that. Hey Ben, that was excellent this morning. Absolutely incredible job. Where is Charlie Manley Breen? What an incredible job that she did. Charlie, God's got amazing things ahead for you. Amazing things ahead for you. But you need to not conform to the ways of the world. People will want to squash you into their box of the way things should look, right? The way that people think um, a worship leader should look or uh, should speak or all this other stuff. But God calls us to not conform to the ways of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be aware of what God is calling you towards. Listen to the voice of God. Listen to his word Test everything, Charlie, but do not just go the way of the world. God's got great things ahead for you. Great things ahead for you. Well, Chris got sick. He was meant to be preaching today, so I got the call. And here I am, and it's good, good to be here. Because I've got a word that's been on my heart. And I'm looking forward uh, to bringing it uh, this morning. So if you could turn with me to Acts 16, we're going to spend some time in Acts 16 this morning. If you don't know how to find Acts 16, it's just after Acts 15. So if you just open up your Bibles to Acts 15, keep turning a little bit. If you get to 17, turn back a little bit. You'll find it around about there. Oh, my Bible is on page 924, but if you go to 924 in your Bible, it's probably not going to be in the same point. Translations, font sizes, those sort of things, right? And I'm using an ESV, so Jordan's very impressed at this, at this point of time. I said that to impress the ESV lovers, um, but I've put it in NIV on my iPad. So for the NIV lovers among here... <laughs> I've got a double here to kind of keep everyone on their toes. So we're going to be talking about the next step. When I was in Italy, we went to this small town and um, it was on the, just off the uh, Amalfi Coast. 
Um, and uh, Chanel and I had a lovely lunch. Pasta, fish, calamari, all of the, all the things you want in an Italian seaside town. It was just beautiful, beautiful 30-something degree day, blue skies. I did not pack shorts because in those days I didn't believe in shorts. Jordan will tell you all about this. I was a non-believer in shorts. I would wear pants if it was 50 degrees centigrade. It was bad times for all. Very smelly. Um, so I went for, went for this lovely lunch, walked down the hill to this lovely alcove, you know, it was about a 15, 20, half an hour walk down a hill. But my goodness, let me tell you, after a big lunch, a lot of gelati, a lot of food, coming back up that hill was not as pleasant as it was going down. I mean, we were in this lovely alcove, and then we're going back up the hill. And at one point in time, Chanel just sat down and said, just leave me here. <laughs> just leave me here. I am done. I don't know what she thought. At that point, it's been a good marriage, great two weeks, just, I've got to stay here on these steps now, this is where I live. I mean, I would have stayed with her if, um, if that's what she had chosen to do, but I had to keep on saying, one more step. One more step, we can make it. Just focus on that next step. And we got to the end, right at the end. And man, it was a moment of despair and gratefulness that it was over. Sometimes we need to be looking just at the next step and not the thousand steps that are in front of us. So let's jump in to Acts chapter 16. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. Whew. Well, I'm glad that that was not prerequisite to come on staff at Uni Hill. <laughs> Whew. Whew. They all knew the father was a Greek as they traveled from town to town. They delivered the, deci uh, the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So Paul here is impressed enough with this um, uh, guy, Timothy, to ask him to join his missionary team. You know, this shows... God's provision in this moment, right? Because John, Mark and Barnabas have just left Paul. You know what? No single worker in God's kingdom is irreplaceable. No single person in God's kingdom is irreplaceable. God will always provide what is needed for his kingdom to advance. When a Barnabas leaves, for whatever reason, God has a Timothy to go on with whatever it is. And in this circumstance, Timothy is there to go on with Paul. Paul has Timothy circumcised, not for the sake of his salvation, right? Paul would never do that. In fact, we've just gone through a series of chapters here where Paul has argued against that, right? The reason why um, uh, Paul has... 
Timothy circumcised so he would not hinder ministry among the Jews. Now, this is very important. Um, Paul did this so that Timothy's status as a non-circumcised man from a Jewish mother would not hinder their work among the Jews within the synagogues. Paul had a methodology of mission which he pursued quite uh, regularly. And this methodology was that most often Paul would enter a town and he would preach the message of Jesus where? In a synagogue. He would head to the synagogue and preach the message of Jesus. So churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. Paul, Silas and Timothy together enjoyed great success in their work of strengthening and growing churches. So let's continue uh, from verse 6. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in Asia. Now this is modern day Turkey, right? We're talking about modern day Turkey here. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now if you take a moment here, this seems quite bizarre, right? This is one of those things that we often just glaze over. We glaze over things in this chapter that are very interesting, right? We don't actually know what the Spirit of Jesus is that kept Paul from entering here. Whether it was a word of prophecy, whether it was an appearance of, um, you know, a physical appearance of Jesus, or if it was an inward speaking of the Holy Spirit or a circumstance. One way or another, Paul and his team got the message. But what is interesting is Paul is stopped from doing something that we would normally define as good. Preaching God's word to those who need it. But Paul is stopped from entering these towns. The Spirit of God directed this work and Paul wasn't the right person in the right place at the right time to begin bringing the gospel to Asia Minor. There was certainly nothing wrong here, right? Paul's not doing the wrong thing. There's nothing wrong with Paul's desire here to preach the gospel in Asia, but it wasn't God's plan or purpose. So he is prevented by the spirit of Jesus. The same happens in, uh, in Bithynia, and he is again prevented by the Holy Spirit. So they come down to Troas. Paul didn't actually set out to go to Troas. It was at least his third choice. It wasn't even the second choice. It was at least his third choice here. But it was the Holy Spirit's plan to lead him there. Paul is beautifully responsive to the guidance of the Spirit. He lays down his will, his plans, and follows the direction that the Holy Spirit brings. He's responsive to what God is saying Paul is guided by hindrance. The Holy Spirit guides us as much by the closing of doors as he does by the opening of doors. David Livingston wanted to go to China. He wanted to go 
preach in China. But God sent him where? To Africa. William Carey wanted to go to Polynesia. But God sent him to India. Jackie Pullinger wanted to go to Africa. But God sent her to Hong Kong. God guides us along the way to just the right place. To just the right place. And we need to be sensitive to what the Spirit is saying to us. We need to be sensitive to what God is saying when doors are closing. From verse 8. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Again, something we very quickly skim over here and we don't really pick up. There is a change of tense in the writer here. They becomes us. Do you notice that? After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. Luke, at this point of time, joins the band of missionaries in Troas. We know Luke as the author of the Gospel of Luke. We know Luke as the author of this book that we're currently reading, Acts. He was a doctor. Perhaps at this point of time he um, came as Paul's personal doctor or as a scribe. But we see another reason here why they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. We see another reason why the Spirit did not permit them to go into Bithynia. God wanted Paul and his team to go into Troas and pick up a doctor named Luke. Because God said no to Paul two times, we have a gospel of Luke and a book of Acts written by this man. In fact, this man wrote the majority of the New Testament. God wanted to give him more than what Paul knew. God wanted to give him a continent, a personal doctor, and to give us all the man whom God would use to write more of the New Testament than anyone else did. God knows what he's doing when he says no. God knows what he's doing when he says no. He's not making it up as he goes. He's not trying to figure it out. He's way ahead of you. He's way ahead of you, man. He knows what he's doing when he says no. In Troas, God made Paul's next step clear. In a vision, Paul was invited to the region of Macedonia, westward along the Aegean Sea. This moved Paul and his missionary team from the continent of Asia to the continent of Europe. And this is known as the first missionary journey to Europe. 
The wisdom and greatness of God's plan here is beginning to unfold. In Paul's mind, he wanted to reach a few cities in his region. But God wanted to give Paul a continent to win for himself. A continent for Jesus Christ. So let's go from verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samaras. And then from the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. The fact that the Jews of Philippi had no synagogue right, and let's remember what Paul's pattern of preaching was, he would go to the synagogue and he would preach in the synagogue. But the fact um, that there was no synagogue here in Philippi means there was probably not very many Jewish men in Philippi at all. Had there been 10 Jewish men, there would have been the quorum needed to constitute a synagogue. 14. One of those listening, from verse 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatria, uh, Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. There you go, Sue. That's who you'd go see. <laughs> this, I, I think this has happened. There's always, you know, you know this, right? There are people that are purple people. They love purple, right? Uh, and Sue has no ifs or buts. She is a purple person. She loves purple, right? Well, here we go. It's in the Bible. This is, there's a purple person in the Bible, right? This is a dealer in purple cloth. This is, you know, it's biblical that this is uh, people that are just into purple cloth, right? And purple things. She was a worshipper of God, wow, isn't that a big tick for, for purple as well? She is a dealer in purple cloth and she was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me as a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Do you notice only Lydia is responsive to the message of Paul uh, amongst uh, those at the river? Anyone who was a seller of purple um, dealt in a valued, luxurious product. The dyes for, uh, used for making the colour purple were expensive and highly regarded. Lydia is from the city of uh, Thyatira. Thyatira was well known as a centre for purple dye and the fabric made from it. This woman was the first convert in Europe. So one might say that the Macedonian man ended up being a woman. Later, there was a church in Thyatira also, and it's actually one of the seven churches addressed in Revelation. So the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The gospel reaches this area of Europe for the first time. 
from verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Something in Paul is unsettled by what this woman says. Even though she says the right things, even though she says the right things, Paul is annoyed by her. This demon-possessed slave girl preached for Paul, giving a demonic testimony to the divine credentials and message. She didn't do this once, but she did it for many days. Paul becomes greatly annoyed and he did not appreciate free advertising from a demon. He did not appreciate the source of the recommendation and he didn't need demonic approval for his work. And he found it pretty annoying. It actually says he was annoyed, right? Like, it's bothering him, so he casts it out. Paul knew that a man would be identified by his friends and his enemies, and he could do without a demonic letter of reference. I wasn't going to go there, but I am. And it's just something I do for the North, apparently. During the whole COVID pandemic time and the whole question around vaccine positivity or, or not to vaccinate and whatnot, I'm not going to get into whether or not that's good or bad. Hey, we should be unified as the body of Christ, right? And love one another, no matter what our opinion on these other matters, right? But at that point of time, there was this video going around on Facebook of a man who was casting a demon out of a woman and the demon was talking about how the secret way that uh, the devil plans to um, get infiltrate the church is through vaccines and this demon is speaking, this interview is happening with, with a demon on camera. We don't need to play spy games with the enemy. We don't need the assent of demons to know what is right. We don't find our truth from a demon. When the devil speaks, his native tongue is lies. And anything that you get out of a demon does not have a Godward purpose in mind. It's for the purpose of division. It's for the purpose of uh, pulling the church apart. We don't play spy games with demons. They are defeated. If you come across a demon, don't interview it. Cast it out in the name of Jesus. Spend too much time playing games with spirituality. Demons are not a plaything. If you find it for real, get rid of it in the name of Jesus. 
There's nothing else to do about it. Cast it aside. It's got nothing good for you. Full stop, brackets, and it's all done. Back to it, baby. In this, Paul, right, is like Jesus. Jesus often told demons to be silent, even when they told the truth about him. Even when they were speaking the truth, he would turn around and tell them to be silent. If Paul did, if Jesus did, what should we do? Then and there, Paul casts out the demon in the name of Jesus. When our owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, this is from verse 19, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They, were brought, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Her masters saw that their hope of profit from this slave was gone. This is, explains why Paul and Silas were treated so poorly. The masters of the demon-possessed girl actually cared nothing for the girl, cared nothing for the culture. They only cared for their ability to exploit her demon possession for money. They were pimps. They were occult pimps. They were pimping them out, her out for their own good. They were prostituting her spiritually. And so they seized Paul and Silas and they were singled out, because, not because they were the leaders of the evangelistic group. We see the reason why they were singled out. They were singled out because they were the most obviously Jewish amongst their group. These men are Jews, Right? Luke was a Gentile, Timothy was only half Jewish, but Paul and Silas were Jewish looking. The objection that these men were Jews is even more interesting knowing the Jewish community in Philippi were small already. They were biased against Paul and Silas because of their Jewish appearance and because they assumed... Now, you know what they say when you assume Paul and Silas were not Roman citizens. Oopsie-daisy. In the Roman Empire, there were two very, two very different laws, right? One for the citizens of the Roman Empire and those that were not citizens. Roman citizens had specific, zealously guarded um, civil rights. Non-citizens had no civil rights um, and were subject to the whims of both the crowd and the court. People felt free to abuse Paul and Silas because they assumed they were not Roman citizens but they were. So the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. This is from verse 22. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods after they were severely flogged and were thrown into prison and the jailer, uh, the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. 
Um, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Geordie, could I have a bottle of water? That'd be great. That's not in the Bible, by the way. It's a aside. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dan. That's also not in the Bible. <laughs> then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. Now, quite obviously here, this earthquake is supernatural, right? Not only because of its timing and location, but also in the ways that all the doors were opened, um, everyone's chains were, were loosened. I mean, we had that earthquake, what, during COVID or whatever, and all that happened was a few vases fell over in my house. Um, you know, there wasn't anything like chains loosing or... The doors swung a little bit, but didn't open locked doors. The front door didn't swing open or anything like that. Obviously, right, this is supernatural what has happened. The keeper of the prison was about to kill himself here. The jailer did this for a good reason. Not because he was so proud of his work as a jailer and he just, oh, this is the worst day of work in my life. I shouldn't have to put anyone through this bad productivity. The jailer did this because under Roman law and customs, right, guards who allowed their prisoners to escape would receive the penalty of their escaped prisoners. So he's thinking to himself, oh boy, I'm in a bit of, bit of strife here. Knowing this, Paul calls out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. He assured the jailer that no one had escaped. It would have been easy for Paul and Silas to escape, thinking that God had provided an opportunity for miraculous jailbreak, right? The opportunity there. There was a literal open door in front of him. His chains had fallen off. But to them, the lives of others were more important than their own personal freedom and comfort. What do we see here? Paul has tremendous, tremendous discernment. Tremendous discernment. Once again, Paul is so in tune with the Spirit that even what looks like an open door in front of him, he stops and considers. The circumstances said escape, but Paul stays for who? His jailer. 
He was not guided merely by circumstance, but by what love compelled him to do, what the Spirit compelled him to do. The jailer ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. This was as dramatic as it sounds. This man was more affected by the love and grace demonstrated by Paul and Silas than by the earthquake. This most likely would have been the same guard The same guard, the same prison officer who would have delivered the stripes to them earlier. This is the same person who likely would have beat them. This jailer is so impressed by Paul and Silas, by the love and care that they showed to him and from the different way they had chosen to live, that he sees merit in the very message they were thrown into prison for. This is how God wants our lives to be. Like natural magnets drawing people to him by the way that we deal with one another. The way that we live, the way we react to situations should make others want to have the same thing. What we have in God. Paul's answer to the prison guard here is a classic statement of the essence of the gospel. Salvation by grace alone, received by faith alone. At that hour of the night from verse 33, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The same jailer who had punished them now cares for Paul and Silas, caring for their wounds, setting food before them. The jailer now follows the example of love that Paul and Silas have set. And immediately he and his family were baptised. The jailer saw no reason to delay baptism. Paul saw no reason to delay baptism. There was no 30-step, you know, baptismal um, course that they had to go through. There was no delay. They wanted to follow Jesus Christ and they were baptised that very night. And that happened around midnight. It's not like even they had the whole night to go on. The earthquake happened around midnight. And the same night they were baptised. How amazing. The jailer was carried from suicidal fear to joy in just a matter of minutes. The Holy Spirit used the courageous praise of Paul and Silas in their terrible adversity. From verse 35, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jail with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. Way to keep that to the end, Paul. It's just like, whoa, and threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting they leave the city. You notice that Paul went back to prison? I mean, you just, 
We just glide over that, right? He goes, converts family, baptizes them. All right, back to prison. <laughs> requesting, they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting they leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. So who does Paul and Silas leave behind? Two notable converts, Lydia and the prison guard. Maybe the girl whom they had cast the demon out of. Each of these had their lives touched by Jesus in very different ways. Lydia was a worshipper of God. The guard was not. Lydia was prospering in business. The guard was about to kill himself. Lydia's heart was gently opened. The guard's heart was violently confronted. The guard had a remarkable sign, an earthquake, but all that Lydia had was the move of the Holy Spirit in her heart. Both heard the gospel and believed, and through each of them, their whole families were touched. Isn't that a bit of a picture of the house of God? The diversity of story and how many people have come to know Jesus Christ. Paul and his merry band of missionary men leave behind a somewhat strange church in Philippi. Lydia, perhaps the slave girl, and the jailer and his household band, if you could come back up. The use of they here as well, you notice it right at the end, it goes from we back to they. It suggests that Paul and Silas left Luke behind at this point. And they probably left him in Philippi to care for this new congregation. We see in this story the dichotomy between the destination versus the next step. God does not give Paul the full story. He just gives Paul the next step. You know, this is uncomfortable for us in our world of strategic planning, in our world of life planning, in our world of Google Calendar, Outlook, iCal, CalCal, calendars. I mean, Cal got named after it. Like, it's a world of calendars, right? We're planners. We want objectives. We want long-term plans. We want KPIs, budget plans. We want church growth strategies. We want mission strategies. We want measurable objectives. And we don't want disruption to our carefully laid plans. We do family planning, career planning, life planning, education planning, uh, financial planning. We do planning planning. We plan our plans. And our plans plan us. We are a society of planners, which is not altogether a bad thing, right? It's not bad to have plans. It's not wrong to have plans. But it does make us a people who can become so obsessed with the destination that we are out of step with what God wants us to do in the moment. 
We're so obsessed with getting somewhere that we're not looking at what is right in front of us. Paul is beautifully responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He lays down his will and his plans and he follows the direction that the Holy Spirit brings. That's what we miss when we're obsessed with asking what's the outcome rather than what's in step with the Spirit of God. We miss that when we're looking for an outcome, when we're looking for something way down the line, instead of taking the moment to go, what's the next step? Paul doesn't get to see the outcome of gospel spread in Europe. He doesn't get to see the outcome of his journey to Philippi. He doesn't get to see every step on the way there. He just gets to see the next step. Paul is prevented from going to Asia Minor as he had intended. Instead, he's called to come to Macedonia. Through Paul's obedience, the first church is planted by a missionary in Europe. From this journey, Paul would go to Athens, Berea, Thessalonica, um, Corinth, areas in modern day Greece, where many people would come to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Eventually, Paul would have the chance to return to Asia and would end up in Ephesus sending Timothy and Erastus back to Macedonia. Eventually, Paul would be sent a prisoner to Rome and would become a support to the burgeoning Roman church. To the churches that had been planted, he wrote letters of encouragement and challenge, letters that would be passed down from generation to generation and that were useful to develop and grow believers in any area. To the church in Rome, he wrote the epistle known as Romans. To the church in Ephesus would come Ephesians to the Grecan churches in Thessalonica and Corinth, the book of Thessalonians and Corinthians, to the church in Macedonia, the book of Philippians. One of the participants on that first missionary trip would chronicle the acts of the apostle and the life of Jesus for a man known as Theophilus. And these letters and accounts would be passed around for hundreds of years as the church spread throughout Europe. Eventually, the leader of the Roman Empire, Constantine would discover Jesus and find faith in Him, making Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire. And he made some significant mistakes. He mixed up Christian belief with pagan belief and he created the Roman Catholic Church, but it would protect and preserve the message of Jesus through many years of hardship. The church would continue to spread throughout Europe and by the sixth century come to a place that we now know as England. Eastern religion, Christianity was now the predominant faith of the West, yet the church became elitist and those significant letters to churches by this time assembled by church councils as the canon of scripture were read in Latin, not in the language of the people. Enter Desiderius Erasmus, Martin Luther, William Tyndale and John Wycliffe who translated the Bible into languages that people understood. Enter the invention in Europe of the Gutenberg um, 
uh, printing press, making the Bible widely accessible, an information revolution greater than that of the creation of the internet. This is a massive revolution in information sharing. The church would lead the way then in revolutionising education so that people could actually read the Bible in a time of illiteracy. It would establish schools, universities, hospitals, orphanages. It would become an agent of good in the world. And then it would send out its people, missionaries to places like America, Asia, Africa, and it was all tied up in this kind of bad thing called colonialism. And it kind of had some really bad effects for people, but there were things happening in amongst that. And this colonialism would send a fleet of people to colonise a place called Australia. And when this fleet landed, they would hold a church service under a tree in a place called Botany Bay. And amongst the mess of convicts, colonialism and a lot of really, really bad stuff for Indigenous people. There are churches being planted and the Gospel being preached in this far-flung, newly discovered place. And they would spread across the country and they would build cities like Melbourne. And one day there would be a revival in a place called Wales and they would send missionaries to Melbourne in Australia and they would plant a church movement. They would run revival meetings and many people would come to know the goodness and power of God and they would plant a church that would eventually reside on Punt Road in Richmond. And that church would send out missionaries and be a witness to far-flung places and eventually it would sell its building. It would wander for a little while and plant some other churches and end up in Box Hill South, right? One of those other churches that would be planted during this season of wandering would be in Greensboro. Eventually it would move itself to Bandura and it would call itself Uni Hill Church. And out of that church, the gospel would be preached to its local community and it would endeavour to love and care for one another. And it would continue the call of Jesus Christ to go into all the earth and to preach the gospel. It would restore people, it would raise people up and it would release them. And in that church sat you. In that church sat you. And God is using you. God is using you, Max. God is using you. God is using you, Remy. God is using you. God is using you, Charlie. God is using you, Judd. God is using you, Jared. God is using you where you sit, where you are at. God had a purpose in sending Paul to Macedonia. And part of that purpose was you. Part of that purpose was you, but believe it or not, believe it or not, Paul did not see every single outcome of what he was doing in that moment. Believe it or not, Paul did not see the outcome of you. However much we would like to believe that the biblical writers saw us in a frame every time they put something down, they did not look up and go, oh, there's Nathan. Yeah, this is for Nathan. No, they did not see you, but they saw the next step. That's all Paul was given. All Paul was given was the next step. And he took each step in faithful obedience to the call of the Holy Spirit. Paul is so practised, so in tune with the Spirit that he is obedient to the call of God. Even in the crucibles of life, like being thrown into prison, even 
when doing what he thought was right was challenged and changed. Paul's practised obedience to God means that he can exchange understanding the destination to being in step with the Spirit of God. We need to at times exchange the destination for being in step with the Spirit of God, what God is calling us to do. And being in step with God, being obedient to Him is simply a matter of practice. Just a matter of doing it. Every time we feel that still small voice call us to change direction. So what's the next step that God's calling you to? What's the next step that God's calling you to? I want you to take a moment. Where are you being called? And what's stopping you? What's stopping you? Because God is outworking His great purpose through you, through me, through Charles, through every single person here this morning. But all we need to do is take that next step with Him. What step is God calling you to today? What step is God calling you to take today? Who is it that God is calling you today to call, pick up the phone and make a phone call to? What career change is God calling you toward? What area of study is God calling you toward? Who is it that needs your care today? Who is it that needs a meal from you today? Who is it that needs an invite from you today? Who is it that needs you to deliver a prophetic word to them today? Who is it that just needs you to send them an SMS with an encouraging scripture? Who is it? What is the next step that God needs you to take today? And what are the bigger things that God's calling you to take? What are those uh, steps that God's calling you that will change the direction of your life? And what's stopping you? What's stopping you? The Spirit of God is calling you. And if the Spirit of God is calling you, then the outcome is going to be great. Take the next step. Take the next step. Will you stand with me? Father God, we're thankful that You have a great plan and purpose for each and every person in this room, Lord God. Father God, whatever that next step is, whatever that next thing is, Lord God, we pray that we would take that step with You, Lord God. Give us the confidence in Your Spirit, Lord God. Give us the uh, comfort, Lord God, that You have got our next steps covered, Lord God. Let us be in tune with Your Spirit, Lord God, just as Paul was, Lord. Let us hear Your Spirit and be faithfully obedient, Lord God, to that next step. Lord God, we wanna do Your will. 
Lord God, we want to do what You have called us to do, Lord God. Lord God, we want to be in step with Your Spirit. Help us to be in step with Your Spirit, Lord God. Help us to focus on the way that You are taking us, Lord God, and help us to take that step in confidence. In Your Name we pray. Amen. Amen.